and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. And I'm Joey Boudreaux. And we have some exciting news to share here on the Gifted Life. Number one, Joey had the opportunity to watch a recipient one year out sign up for college, something she never, ever thought she'd be able to do. So that's pretty cool. And she's going into the nursing field and she wants to work in the transplant world. So that's pretty awesome in itself. Got to watch another recipient surprise her son for his birthday with a precious puppy. Um, It's actually on our Facebook page, Donate Life Louisiana. Uh, But his name is Owen. Owen, he's a Sheltie and he's wearing a blue and green tie. I mean, it just all comes together, full circle, right? Also had the opportunity to watch a donor mom rally the troops to honor her hero for the upcoming race, uh, the Rabelais Run for Life. So it's just inspiring. Uh, These stories are happening all around us, and we want you to help us get the word out. It only takes that one person. You can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And then on Facebook, we're Donate Life Louisiana, also Instagram and Twitter. But a lot of things that we talk about, you can see and experience. Uh, share your stories through these social media outlets as well. Um, and then we always have info at lopa.org. So if you want to see something covered here, let's do it. In the news today, we will be talking about lots of events coming up in October. That's right. That's so get right. your pens ready. Awesome. Yeah, write it down. In our recovery segment, we'll be talking to one of our good partners, our, our one of our physician champions at our local hospital. And in our community segment, what do you get when you mix a Pulitzer Prize winner and an Olympic champion? Donation gold, baby. You like that? Yes. Thank you. And hey, it's hurricane season, and how's technology helping? We'll let you know. We'll also honor a hero and take your questions here on the Gifted Life Podcast. Okay, I have my pen and my paper. Do you, Joey? Yes, I do. So many events coming up in October. We hope that you save the date. We hope that there's something out there that interests you, that's close to you, that maybe you'll volunteer for, help us spread the word. We would love it. Okay, the first Saturday in October, we have the Rabelais Run for Life, and it's a pretty big deal. It's our fifth annual, which is pretty cool. So we're teetering at about 500. We hope to top that in the amount of support that we get. Um, but registration is open. We're looking for sponsors, runners, teams. I mean, you can even walk it. There's yep. free jambalaya yep. and lots of fun. And, of course, that's in Baton Rouge, Correct. the Baton Rouge area. But if you are from the northern part of the state, we have a second chance car, truck, and bike show. And that's going to be in the memory of Tommy Curry. It's going to be located in Ruston. The backstory, Laurie, is that he received a kidney transplant at the age of 12. And it provided him an additional 25 years of life. And when he turned 37, he wanted to kind of give back. And his big passion was cars. So he was in the process of putting on the second chance car, truck, and bike show. And unfortunately, he passed. And his family decided they knew how important this was to him. They decided to take it on and continue in his legacy. And they picked it up and put it on. And they're now in their fourth year of putting this fundraiser on. And it's in honor to benefit Lopa. Celebrating him and his dreams. And it's all about exactly celebrating Tommy Curry. And that is the first weekend in October as well. Then we have Justin Harrison's Golf for Life, which is the 12th of October. And of course, this is in honor of hero Justin Harrison. If you go to our Faces of Donation page, um, you can read a lot more of our heroes. And we featured him on a previous podcast and actually talked to Mom Libby. But I know 
that for Justin Harrison's Golf for Life, Joey's actually going for the scooter prize. That's right. Yeah, really big I prize. Scooter. I don't know if you'll get it, but I love good it. luck. I'll be trying for it. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, at the end of the month, in uh, actually it's on Halloween, is our trail Ooh. run for life. And that's going to be in Karen Crow in the Lafayette area. A little different. It's a little different. You know, most of the runs that are put on are road races. So we decided last year, this is our second annual, we decided last year to put on a trail run. And it's through the most beautiful horse farms in Karen Crow, just north of, of Lafayette. It goes through the horse farms and it also goes through some wooded areas. It's really neat. If you've gone to the Rabelais run, you've probably prepped yourself. You can come on over to the, oh, it yeah. gives you enough time like to that. get like ready that. for the trail run. <laughs> and of course, that's easy to remember, Halloween morning. That's right. But all of the information for these events and so much more can be found at loba.org. Get involved today. We have reached the recovery segment of the Gifted Life podcast, and today we kind of take you inside Our Lady of the Lake Hospital. It's located in Baton Rouge. I am often in there talking to classes. We actually do a class with Our Lady of the Lake State Police, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, and those kinds of things to spread awareness about organ donation. Uh, But it's so good when you have somebody who basically lives at the hospital, Mm -hmm. one of those caretakers, to kind of walk us through. So we have, as a guest today, Dr. Cullen Bear, a pulmonologist at Our Lady of the Lake, who basically takes care of the sickest of the sick. Dr. Bear has been a physician champion for organ donation, Laurie, for over 10 years. I've been knowing him for, for that long, and, and he's been a huge help to us in our cause in giving these families the opportunity to save lives. So thank you very much, Dr. Bear, for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Anything so, I can do for organ donation. And so you've been a big help to us as a, as a physician champion, like I said, for over 10 years. But your connection to donation actually started much earlier, right? Yes. Earlier in your residency? Yes. yes. I, I was actually on call one weekend back in, I think it was like eight, 1989, 1990, somewhere around there when the first heart transplant was being done in Treeport, Louisiana. And I was on call, and I got the phone call to come in and take care of a patient that unfortunately was brain dead. And I was taking care of this patient, but at the same time, I was since this was the first heart transplant being performed there, uh, there was a lot of eyes upon us, if you will. And so we 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 were very. Uh, intense on everything that was going on with the patient during that during that time post brain death and before the active donation, and that's when I got really so interested in the in the pathophysiology of taking care of these patients. So we pretty much had to react very fast on the, the rapid changing of the patient getting worse very quickly. And so, as a consequence, I stayed with the patient pretty much all night just to make sure that we weren't going to lose the patient, if you will, for this historic organ transplant process. And so, I guess it was about 4, 4.30 in the morning, and I spoke with the transplant surgeon, and at that time, that was uh, Dr. Moshin Hakim. And I came and came in, and we were talking, and we were going through everything uh, as far as taking care of the patient. 
Uh, along that time, I guess it was around, I don't know, five-ish in the morning, is when I saw a patient that was coming in being held in by his family on a wheelchair. And it was uh, rather dramatic to me because, um, you know, you see this, this young man and his family's all around him and he's obviously in end-stage heart disease. And um, it was, it was, yeah, it was it was a time whenever you had to you know, swallow twice to to move on. But once uh, once we got through that process and the patient went on to donation, um, I went home, got to sleep, came back later that night, checked on things, and I really uh, was surprised that that the, uh, the patient had received the heart was being so much better. He was awake and he was alert. By the next morning, he was off the ventilator. Uh, he was sitting up in, in in the chair on the side of the bed. His feet were dramatically decreased uh, in with uh, edema. And by the next day, uh, he was riding on, a, on an exercise bicycle at the bedside. Wow. And um, and that was a milestone in in my career because it was just so drastic of an improvement in a process when a young man was 48 hours earlier um, struggling to breathe. It was, it was right. very impressive. That is quite an amazing story for you at such an early period in your becoming a critical care physician that you were able to see and take care of both sides and, ha and be touched by both sides of the donation process. You saw someone who didn't survive, and then at the same time you saw someone else. He was probably nearing his deathbed, and within a 48-hour period, being able to see that drastic transformation that took place. That's pretty amazing. It was something that really changed my whole viewpoint on uh, how beneficial donation uh, can be for very, very sick patients. You know, even as clinicians from the organ donation perspective, but for our society as a whole, you know, we oftentimes look at doctors that, you know, we kind of think of you guys as, as robots in a way, you know, that you, ha you have to do your job, you know, regardless of the circumstances, and you kind of have to put this kind of shield on you. But it, at the same time, you've worked with some of these patients, especially at Our Lady of the Lake now as a critical care physician for days and sometimes weeks you know, trying to save their life, and then, of course, work closely with the families. It has to be very taxing and an and emotional, almost a grieving thing for you guys on that end, I would bet. It, it is, um, cause, because we, we do put a lot of time and effort into you know, trying to save patients. I mean, that's what we go through our fellowships for. That's why we study so much about being able to provide the optimal care in the right amount of time uh, so that we can avert some of these catastrophic processes. But there are just some things, sometimes those patients, they're too sick and, and they don't respond like you would want them to do. And sometimes it takes a while for uh, these transitions to occur. You know, whenever you're at the bedside with the family uh, and you're going through... The, the discussions of uh, the plans, what we think is going to happen, what we hope is going to happen, and sometimes it just doesn't fall through. Uh, it, it is 
heart-wrenching and taxing on, on, on everybody, not just the physicians, but the nurses, respiratory the therapists, the uh, dietitians, the clinical pharmacists. So it's it's a whole team approach, and it's a it's a team win or it's a or it's a team struggle. I've worked with you guys for quite some time, for 13 years, very closely with our Lady Lake, and and you guys are some of the best in the country at what you do. And you kind of touched on it that sometimes that patient has suffered such a severe injury. You guys do everything in your power to save that patient, but then. There are times where the uh, swelling in the brain uh, is just too much to overcome and, and that patient expires and then it becomes uh, declared brain dead. And then there's the transition from there for that family, basically of, of what's going to happen next. So can you talk me a little bit through that period and the transition to donation? After the families make that determination that they want to proceed with, with donation, the patient still has to be taken care of appropriately. But now we need to start thinking about how many patients' lives are we going to affect um, if we can go through with the donation process. So that's that's the that's the hard part, and especially hard for. Um, a lot of younger uh, physicians and caretakers who are sitting there and they have all this, their emotions and their their efforts and they're tired and they've gone through this and they have a feeling of that they've lost the battle. Uh, but if they can transition that, that, that frustration into a feeling of hope for so many other people, then you have a, a better chance of winning the overall battle. I've had the pleasure of going with donor families into Our Lady of the Lake to speak to certain groups, um, to speak um, to those caregivers. We also bring in recipients. And you are just the nicest guy, mm-hmm. I have to tell you. They always love the smile. Uh, we know you're wearing the white coat and, and what you do. But I had a donor mom, Joey. She just grabbed hold of him. And she just didn't want to let go. And he let her hug him for a very long time. And I think he enjoyed it as well because there was a connection there. I I do love what I do. I do love um, taking care of the patients. And um, and, and part of that that responsibility is is actually taking care of the families, too. I know. Thank you. You're basically there around the clock, but the recipients are there as well. And... um, I, I see you watching them tell their stories and, and how far they've come. And I know that you're in awe of, of the whole donation process as a whole. But being uh, the physician champion and, and kind of knowing how things run at the lake, just in general, hospital personnel, why would some be resistant um, to donation from your perspective? Well, it's such a, it's such a, a personal decision that um, – People have to come to uh, an agreement within their own uh, in their own morality. To be honest with you, I mean, we have physicians that that they they they, tr- they, they have trouble with uh, portions of uh, of donation, um, like uh, DCDs, um, and, and they don't want to to do that. And I respect that, and I'm glad they're honest with us. Uh, but uh, it, it's really up to each individual person. Uh, and if they have questions, I'm, I'm more than glad to sit down at any time 
and discuss uh, the benefits uh, and 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 some of the ethical issues that some of these people have about not doing donation or doing donations. It's a it's a different it's a whole different environment. It's a whole different world. Just focusing on taking care of uh, the, the patient who is brain dead, and not focus on the whole picture of who we're going to be able to help. Otherwise, um, it, it gets to be very taxing, and you won't be a very a very happy person uh, if that's all you can see. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we, we we try to help our physicians and, mm-hmm. and nurses. Uh, respiratory therapists with uh, some of those issues as as they go along through our process. Well, I think that's what makes you stand out, and that's what makes Our Lady of the Lake stand out. I'm always impressed. Each year we do a butterfly release to honor the donors from the lake um, for the previous year, and the amount of staff that shows up to stand side by side with these donor families and to honor these silent heroes and then to see the reveal of the donor wall, which has a permanent place in the hospital, it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm very proud of those, those uh, two um, portions that you speak of because we've worked so hard and so long to bring the awareness of organ donation as a living entity within our, our own organization uh, and our community. And it's just, it's real touching to go to the butterfly release and, and see the number of family members that are there uh, and our staff that do come. Uh, there's a large number of staff people that, that aren't able to go that, are, that work just as hard as, as the ones that do show up. So it's a very warming feeling whenever uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I will have to say I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of local. I'm proud of our efforts on the clinical side. And, you know, we've been supported by the lake and FMOL. And so I think it's it's been a win-win situation uh, over the last number of years, 10 years or so. Well, and the lake also joins with us out in the community to help spread the word. So you guys really go above and beyond, and we appreciate you kind of acting as spokesperson today for the lake, but also being our physician champion for organ donation. Uh, we always say it takes one person to make a difference, and you are doing it. Well, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Bear And Joey, if um, you happen to be at Our Lady of the Lake visiting a friend or someone like that, the donor wall is on the first floor just past the chapel, and you'll see all of those silent heroes. You'll read their stories. You'll see their faces. It's right there for folks to to see. It's really, it's it's quite impressive. So we appreciate Dr. Bear for joining us. And if you have any questions of what you heard during that part of the podcast, info at lopa.org. We have reached the community segment here of the Gifted Life podcast, and we are so pleased to have some um, powerful guests join us to talk about their role in donation and what they continue to do to help us save more lives. I want to introduce you to Jeffrey Marks. You've probably heard the name. He was the youngest ever winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Investigative Reporting, which was pretty awesome in itself, plus numerous other awards. And one of the things I read about Jeffrey was that his whole goal in life was to just try and make a difference in this world, 
Well, he's definitely helped us save lives in the donation world. And we want to talk to Jeffrey about his connection to donation. So, Jeffrey, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. So we want to hear about Wendy. We've read about her in your book, It Gets Dark Sometimes, but we want to hear kind of your journey. She was battling hepatitis B, and she's really the reason that you have adopted this cause and worked so hard to save more lives. Right. Well, the story that Carl Lewis and I have to share with you is really the story of Wendy Marks, my little sister, my only sister, my best friend in this world while she was here. And in 1989, when Wendy was only 22 years old, she became very sick with hepatitis B. It destroyed her liver very quickly. She went into a deep grade four coma, and it got to the point where we were told she had only 24 hours to live. We were told this while standing over her hospital bed in a hospital in San Francisco. And of course, the only reason that it got to that point was because of the horrible shortage of donors in this nation something that we knew nothing about until that time that kind of smacked us in the face in a very personal way. And when I say we, we're talking about Carl Lewis here, and he was with us for that whole journey right from the start. Uh, He and I happened to be working together on a book at the time, and he was following us very closely. And it was really amazing when he joined us at the hospital, not only to do whatever we could for Wendy, but to do whatever we could for the overall cause of organ donation and transplantation, that was really on our minds quite a bit because we were learning about it as that clock was ticking. And Carl, you might even remember that 24-hour clock ticking, and there we were about 3 in the morning, and the talk we had in the hospital hallway talking about this being something we would work on for the rest of our lives. It's really interesting because I was actually um, traveling when Jeff called me about Wendy, and I, and I, I was aware of what was going on because... This is Carl, of course. And I was aware of what was going on because when he had been ill and I said, if anything happens, keep me abreast of what's going on. So I was actually out of town. And when he called me, I actually stopped what I was doing and headed to San Francisco. So it was a pretty amazing start. Never would I have thought that that call would have ended up with, my goodness, you know, over 25 years of advocacy for a cause that's so important to us that we know so little about. And, and guys, you know, just to let you know, you know, he's mentioned Carl and, you know, as his friend Carl Lewis, and this is the Carl Lewis. Uh, I grew up watching him. Uh, he's, he's one of my all-time favorites. He was actually uh, one of the fastest. He was the fastest man in the world and uh, one of the greatest Olympians of all time, 10-time Olympic medal winner, nine-time gold medal winner for the Olympics. So, uh, I never thank get you. tired of hearing that. No, That's I can't. awesome. <laughs> so we've got, uh, Laurie, we've got a Pulitzer Prize winner and, and an Olympian, you know, so it's, it's uh, what a high team. accolades here. Yeah, what a team, especially yeah, for well, donation. And you see what Wendy can do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's what I was going to ask. So can you tell me about how it must have been very helpless for you having a friend, you know, like Jeffrey and Wendy in such a need? So tell me about those times and how you felt during that period. Well, it, it's been interesting. I think the biggest thing was just the lack of knowledge. I mean, I just felt so ignorant about an issue that I should have known more about. That's really the biggest thing. And it's like, how did we not know this? How did I not know more about this or understand this issue? Um, you would have thought that I would have met someone or something and, and, and then just trying to catch up. And when I touched down and ultimately the entire family was there. So we're just one family in a little room just waiting on pins and needles because it is pins and needles. You're waiting every second because five minutes from now they could say, oh, we, ha- we have um, a liver and we move on. 
Um, and then she stayed and we go on. And that was kind of our hope, clinging to hope that that could happen. But the biggest issue for me was just how could I have been so ignorant about this issue? And I know probably, um, especially at this time, and I know now because we've called on you today, but everybody I'm sure is asking you to endorse a product or, or get behind a cause. Um, this one seemed like it was just very easy for you to put your celebrity toward it. So if you and Carl, uh, Carl if you and Jeffrey could talk about how that helped spread the word about donation, not only on that night, but from that point on. Well, the, the, the great thing about having a name, and, and it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, everyone knows you, but then when you're in this situation, um, everyone knows you. And not only that, but you also build goodwill with different people over the years and different um, entertainment people, different reporters, because they ask for favors. And so, so you, it's one of those things we call upon favors, but in reality, to them, it wasn't really a favor because they, they didn't understand the issues either. So when they heard that, they were on board and, and um, that celebrity was able to get some attention to it. But at the end of the day, the attention, I think, at that weekend was more so of, of just speaking to other people because you can't just go out and say, hey, you know, send an organ in here because obviously we know the system now, but we didn't know it then. So we just felt that that got the attention and maybe that's how it happened. So, Jeffrey, you talked about and Carl talked about, you know, waiting on kind of on pins and needles. So can you go through the process of, you know, waiting and then feeling so helpless and then all of a sudden getting that call and getting that second chance? Right. Well, to put it in perspective, we have to remember the time period as well. This being late 1989, it was Thanksgiving weekend. And at that time, as Carl mentioned, we were just learning about the issue as we were going. So we came to learn that there were about 18,000 people in the country waiting for a transplant of some kind back then. It's hard to believe that we're all the way to more than 122,000 now. So that puts it in perspective how this has been a growing need. And what we learned very quickly because of the severity of Wendy's illness, she was so far gone in that deep grade four coma, that we were told she had been catapulted to the top of the national waiting list because of the severity of her illness. So, you know, as a family, and certainly Carl was a member of our family through that, it's just so strange to realize that you're sitting there basically, for lack of a better way to explain it, waiting for the right person to die, because that's the only way that a liver transplant could be done at that time. So it was a very strange, uh, bizarre, painful, difficult, challenging, stressful, whatever adjectives you want to put to it. Uh, the bottom line is, that was my little sister and my best friend, and that's a lot to have wrapped up in one person. So all I could think about right then was, was this going to happen? Were we going to get our Wendy back? And we were unbelievably fortunate that we were able to do so. So tell us um, her story from that point on and the creation of the Wendy Marks Foundation that you both um, still continue to use to help save other lives. Right. Well, you talked about Carl's celebrity value and the fact that there's so many different causes and commercial interests and different things that get involved with someone like Carl through the years. But I think of Carl very differently. You also mentioned him being the winner of nine Olympic gold medals, which is a fairly staggering number. But when I think of Carl, the first thing that comes to my mind has nothing to do with those things. And it's all about someone who was literally sleeping on the floor of the hospital waiting room right along with the rest of us trying to make this happen and, and committing himself to a cause. And then I think of that conversation we had at 3 in the morning in the hallway that I mentioned a few minutes ago. And that was a decision we made right then. We said it to each other right down in the middle of the night that with or without Wendy, this is something we're going to work on. So 
once Wendy got better, once she got her transplant and things went so well over those next few months, it was a very easy decision because Carl and Wendy and I decided together to follow up on that talk that we had had in the hallway and decided to form a foundation called the Wendy Marks Foundation for Organ Donor Awareness. So, Carl, tell us about starting up this foundation and um, just really where your heart was at this point. Well, you know, it's so interesting. Um, Jeff and I talked about that and, and just seeing Wendy and seeing the strength of her, realizing that we would do this, like Jeff said, w- with Wendy or not. And thank goodness it was with Wendy and her leadership. I just felt compelled. And it wasn't really a thing where I, I never really felt like a leader. I just felt like I was, we were on Wendy's team. And it was just something that she had to lead and, and we were following. So for me, I was in a quest to get more information, but also to find out. And then when I, then we got out of the hospital and then we set up the foundation and then we saw the numbers. It was just astonishing to me how little we knew and what we could do. And so it, it just continued to grow. And when you have the situation, whether it was the transplant games you went to or talk, 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 the video or places we went, with Wendy and then back in the, the 90s, bringing in all kinds of people like, you know, Bill, Bill Brown, who came in and we did a basketball program. You know, we've done so many things and, and I've been able to do things I never would have done, had friends I never would have had, situations that never could have happened without meeting Wendy and going through this journey and meeting so many amazing people. She sounds amazing the more we hear about her. And I know that you guys have done work in Louisiana and across the country with the Wendy Marks Foundation. And Joey, I know that you will be jealous of this, but I got to hug Carl Lewis uh-huh. along with probably a million other people who were in line. But So Jeffrey teamed with LSU and the Wendy Marks Foundation to spread organ donor awareness at this huge athletic event where Carl ties in oh so nicely. So that was just an amazing day, huh, Jeffrey? We had an opportunity two years ago uh, to work with the LSU baseball program on a very special day, an organ donor awareness day at Alex Box Stadium here in Baton Rouge. It was really neat because Carl and I had got to know a young man named Rafe Rimes, who was then a star baseball player for the LSU Tigers, and Rafe really spearheaded the whole deal. And uh, Carl came in, and we had an opportunity to get a lot of different people involved from LSU and also the broader community here in Baton Rouge. And if anyone's ever been to an LSU baseball game, they know the type of crowd and the, and the excitement and the people involved. But it was really special that day because in addition to everything we did uh, for donor awareness, Carl Lewis had a very special way of, I'll say, throwing out the first pitch, which is what is normally done. But, Carl, maybe you can share with us exactly how that worked that day at the stadium. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it was funny because we were talking, um, just talking about how do you do this unique. And then we heard that the week before, you know, the gymnastics team came out and they actually did cartwheels all the way to the, to the, the uh, catcher. So I said, well, you know what, I'm going to think of something. So we, we get out there and they throw me the ball and they announce me. It's all nice. And, you know, I'm at LSU. And, and it's interesting because LSU is a special place for me. I mean, I actually won – NCAA championship at LSU when I was in college at Houston. So it's always a special place to go back to that school. And so I, I um, got ready to wind up and then I went down, come to your market set and ran the ball in and the crowd went crazy because yes. it totally, every, everyone was fooled. No one knew what was going on. And it was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And you know what? 
it got on Sports Center, so it I guess was. it was okay. <laughs> but it was cool to uh, experience it um, live and in person. And let me tell you, watching um, Carl and Jeffrey work together, you can see how a country can rally around these two and a cause. So gracious. There were lots of people who wanted to take pictures with Carl Lewis. It mm-hmm. was hot. He was dressed in a nice, you know, button down. And the people just kept coming, and he just had that smile on his face and was just very gracious to everybody. Jeffrey helped us set up Donate Life material at these gates to get just the word out as much as possible. So, I mean, you guys make a really good team. I I can tell that you guys are friends, but getting behind this cause, I mean, you're just a dynamic duo for sure. Well, thank you. And I can only tell you that it's very easy and very meaningful to us, especially when we get to work with people like everyone at LOPA, because we have a long history with LOPA going all the way back to the early 90s, and Carl made reference to that dribbling for Donner's basketball game we did in the Superdome back in early 94, and we were even fortunate enough to be involved with launching the first statewide donor registry in Louisiana in conjunction with LOPA. So it's just a special organization, and, and we've had opportunities to work with a, a very high percentage of the APOs around the country. And, and I can tell you this, and I'm not only saying it because we're with LOPA today, but there's no doubt in my mind that LOPA is one of the absolute best in the country, so it's very special for us every time we get to work with you guys. And we appreciate you always including us. One of the things that we recently talked about on a podcast was Alex Bregman wearing the Donate Life green bracelet. That was a afternoon phone call. <laughs> from Jeffrey to Lopa, can you get bracelets our way? We have this unique opportunity. I love when, when Jeffrey calls, Lori, I have a unique opportunity. <laughs> and it always well, works it out was, positively. It, it was strange, but it was funny, too, because you'll recall that uh, you and your husband were kind enough to meet me in a parking lot of a state <laughs> office building and make the handoff. It felt like if uh, law enforcement was watching, they might have thought something else was going on there, but... Um, you and Kyle have to get those to us and some guys on the baseball team and Alex Bregman, the star shortstop this last year, and what an amazing young man he is. And Carl's going to get to see him play some more because he's going to end up with he's the Houston Astros organization in the minor leagues right now. But he'll end up playing shortstop or somewhere on that team in Houston. And at that time, I'll be envious of Carl because he'll get to go watch those games and I'll still be watching on TV. But Alex wore that bracelet and wore it proudly. Yes. It was last game at LSU, the game that put them into the College World Series, and, and he was wearing it even after that, the day he was drafted number two in the nation in the Major League Baseball draft. There was his rope of bracelet. The day that he signed his contract with his Astros, go back and look at all the photos. There's his organ donation bracelet. He just kept wearing it and wearing it. I told him, Alex, it was just for one day. You can do whatever you want with that, you know, and he, he was really enjoying it. So. Well, that just shows me that's a, a guy that deserves, you know, the best because he has really gotten into the cause. Now let's talk about something that you've been up to. You have a new book that's going to be released September 15th. It's called Walking with Tigers, a collection of LSU sports stories, not really about games but about people and life. So, Joey, he has this release that's coming up. He has this book coming up, and he has this huge release party. And then he says, I always try to include organ donation awareness. What can we do to make that happen? Amazing. So Mm. inviting us in, we love the cooperation. We love that we can call and get you and Carl Lewis on the phone to try to save more lives. And um, y'all are just amazing. Well, thank you very much for having us. And Carl, any any parting words for for Joey, this (laughs) wannabe athlete here? (laughs) 
I'm past my prime, Carl. <laughs> when, I, when I say, you know, you know, look, I'm 54. We're all want to be athletes now. <laughs> um, you know what I? You know I, I. You want the you want the nice version or the mean version? The nice version Ooh. is watch watch what you eat and um, watch to eat and make sure you get some exercise. The mean version is put a mirror. By your shower. <laughs> that is a mean version, Carl. I'm sticking with a nice version. Oh, now, remember, when you're talking about watch what you eat, we're in Louisiana. Yeah, we've got some true. problems with that. I'm Cajun. I'm a Boudreaux. I can't. I'll watch it right before yeah. it gets to my mouth. The problem is we do watch what we eat, and then we eat more of it and more of it. That's, That's right. it. <laughs> It's really interesting because I think that it, it, this is really an interesting fight. You know, we're, we're obviously talking about donation and life and what people do. And, you know, and now I'm a coach at the University of Houston. So I deal with these young people every single day. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. to deal with them, to motivate them, to be the best that they can be, to get to, you know, say, hey, this is why it's important to go to class and get your education. This is why it's important to work hard, even if you may not be an Olympic champion one day. And, and it's, it's, some of them will make it, some of them will not. And it's, 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 to me, it parallels the struggle that we have every single day with organ donation. Because I look at the list, and I look at the fact that, you know, there are the people on the face of this earth to eliminate the list. And so it's something that we have to constantly fight. To me, it's, it's, it's like I'm coaching another athlete. And I, I think this is wonderful to have us on here to talk about it, because we can all be coaches in this, in this fight to end the problem and the shortage of organs for people that actually need them. So let's all be a coach, and let's all coach the, our family, let's coach our friends, let's coach our contemporaries, anyone we can to understand that, that there is a shortage and we can all be coaches. And when we do win the fight and win the race like I've made one day, um, then we have to keep coaching them to make sure we don't go back. That's good. You could tell was, you're a little instructor there. Right. Uh, can you imagine if Carl Lewis was your instructor <laughs> oh man intimidating. that's awesome I, I tell you you know the words were beautiful there and we really really appreciate we talk about on this podcast that it only takes you know the power of one and with you carl and and you jeffrey and of course wendy the hero you guys have touched so many lives so many more than you can ever imagine uh the struggles that we have when we are talking to a family that's that's you know at this acute grieving stage when they know about it when they've read stories like yours and wendy's and you know and heard you guys speak it makes such a difference you know on them because the decision's already been made you know when, when anyone hears you guys speak or of course reads the book they make that decision to say yes and that's one less decision that they have to make at such a difficult time and, and i really thank you guys for all the hard work that you've done in in making life happen well you know what Tony? you mentioned something that's so important and i'm glad you did and shame us for not saying it earlier the organ donors the donors and their families because those are the real heroes right. and wendy came up with a great name for them wendy used to call them the silent heroes, which I just thought was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a passage about that once in her own jar. The, the silent heroes, the people who make the decision, who have the courage, and ultimately are the ones who give the gift of life to so many others. So those are the people that I would really like to hug and to hold up and to celebrate. Y'all are amazing. We love our partners. Thank you, Jeffrey Marks. Thank you, Carl Lewis. Thank you, Lori. Thank you very much. 
All right. We talked about Jeffrey Marks. If you go to jeffreymarks.org, there is a book on there. It has all the information about him, but it gets dark sometimes. And you can see the story and see the pictures of Wendy, the hero that we talked about today. And if you have any other questions, you want more information, uh, we are in contact with these fine fellows, our dynamic duo, info at lopa.org. Time for technology. And let me tell you, cool little program here, hurricane season, number one. Folks are remembering Hurricane Katrina. Devastated areas, right? Especially New Orleans area. Um, Lopa had to uproot. You remember this, right? I, Walk I was, us through. I was on a case uh, in Lafayette, actually, uh, during when Hurricane Katrina was making landfall. And actually, when the mandatory evacuation took place, I was in communication with one of our coordinators in New Orleans out of the Metairie office at mm-hmm. the time. So he had to evacuate. And so at the time, our communication was terrible because none of our texts were going through, you know. Well, uh, and as the, the case for, yeah, folks everywhere. Were jammed, in, you know. So area, yeah. it was the biggest problem, you know. So we've realized from there that we've got to create redundancies and we've got to always have backup plans in place anytime, any disaster. But obviously being, you mm-hmm. know, from Louisiana, uh, if hurricanes should make landfall. Yeah, we have learned from it, and we have moved forward. And we have Michelle Kellum joining us. She is LOPA's Clinical Support Center Education Coordinator. Hey, Michelle. Hi. Hey, thanks for coming on. We uh, were just talking about Hurricane Katrina, the anniversary, but we're in storm season, so we always got to watch for that. What happens if we lose power during Katrina? You know, we learn some some hard lessons. Um, LOPA is fortunate. We do have a program. It is a virtual PBX. And I'll start off first with what the PBX actually stands for. It is private business exchange. Um, It is a computerized private telephone network. It's used within a business throughout the network. And it also extends to multiple locations. And so we never can detect when or where a hurricane is going to hit, but we do have some guidelines. So what the call center will do is we might go to one area or we might split up. About two years ago, we lost some power here, and I was up north in Illinois taking care of my dad. And so I was able to log in through PBX just for a few hours, kind of helping out the call center, keeping our referrals going, allowing uh, tissue and organ donation uh, referrals to come in. I mean, you can be anywhere logging in um, as long as your phone or your computer is set up with the business telephone line, and then each employee is assigned their distinct and individual extension. So the hospitals never have to change their processes. They can call that number, and it routes right through PBX. The employee logs in either on a computer or if our computers are down, they can use their smart uh, cell phone. So none of our processes change, and a lot of times our outside customers or um, affiliates don't even realize that um, we have computer or phone landline being down because it allows those referrals to come in 24-7. And I like to say... There's an app for that? Mm-hmm. A free one at that, right? There is an app. There's a free <laughs> app for that. Um, Music to our and ears. And so annually, we do this uh, competition 
competency testing. I have each of the call center log in on their computer to make sure that they remember their extension and their password because it's not very often that we have to use this. Mm -hmm. And then we also have them log into their phone. And then that way we know at any time if we should lose power, we have a backup plan. So then that way our hospitals and corners and funeral homes can still contact us. So virtual PBX, lots of benefits. Lots. And then it also has a true ACD queuing. And and what ACD stands for is that automatic call distribution. So if all the lines are busy, like all of our cell phones, all the employees are on their cell phone, and then so that caller coming in can listen to some music, and then whoever hangs up first, it automatically goes to the one that is free. So it's just, it's really neat that it's an excellent backup uh, telephone system. Awesome. Technology helping in the donation world. We appreciate it, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you very much. That was Michelle Kellum, our Clinical Support Center Education Coordinator. Okay, Joey, it's our Honoring a Hero segment. Today, we're going to highlight Austin James Shoemaker. Grew up around Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier City. Loved it. Loved the air show. Attended it every year, Mom says. He loved to sit in the planes and talk to the pilots. And when he was six, so just six, he knew he wanted to be a pilot, which I think is pretty cool. Mom says he helped her teach Sunday school at Bel Air Baptist Church. He liked to help others, loved to cheer people up, and he had the wonderful gift of encouragement. I just like the way she says that. He had the wonderful gift of encouragement. He graduated from airline high school, went to Louisiana Tech in aviation. So he did pursue his dream of becoming a pilot. He was six weeks away from graduation when on March 9th, 2008, his life was cut short because of a car accident. Before he left to go to college, mom says he told her and dad that he wanted to be an organ donor. If anything ever happened to him, he wanted to help others live. That's pretty powerful right there. So they honored his request by donating his organs to help others, and they are so proud of him and his decision to donate. And so the picture that we have of him is in a uniform, uh, but you can tell he had the military pilot look on there and just a hero in not only mom and dad's eyes, but ours as well. So Faces of Donation on Lopa.org, you can see Austin. You can read his story from mom, Austin James Shoemaker. Let's uh, pause right now in the podcast just to say thank you to Austin for the gift of life. In this part of the podcast, we love to hear from you. We want to answer your questions. We want to know what's on your mind, what you're thinking. If something has blocked you from signing up about donation, let's talk about it. We want to inspire those healthy conversations. So, Joey, this question came in, info at lopa.org. You can hit us there anytime. My husband and I are registered, have discussed donation, but we were wondering, can we register our children before they get their driver's licenses? And the answer to that is yes. You can register them online just as you can register yourself online. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Laurie, in the state of Louisiana, you still have to be 18 for it to be legally considered first-person mm-hmm. authorization or legally binding. So you would still, as a parent, have to give authorization up until 18 years of age. But it doesn't mean that you can't register them. So they can still be registered, whether they are going to the DMV and getting their license for the first time mm-hmm. at 15 or 16 mm-hmm. or 
12 years old and, and they may have seen you, you know, in an education doing a presentation mm-hmm. and said, hey, mom, I want to register. You can register them online. That's right. And we just encourage you to keep having those conversations. I always tell my kids, go home and look at mom and dad's license. Do they have a heart? Why or why not? Let's talk about it, right? And tell them what the loud blonde lady told you today, (laughs) right? So hopefully um, they take some of those facts and figures home. But the answer is yes. So if you're at that point where you do want to sign up and you want to sign your kids up as well, so you can do it at lopa.org. There's a place there to register. Just click. We try to make it as easy as possible. Also, you you can visit Donate Life LA, donatelifela.org. Do it today. And this podcast has come to a close already, but we had so much fun. I think uh, I've never seen Joey starstruck. <laughs> Or speechless. Yep. I don't think anybody's seen him speechless, but um, he was for a brief period because we talked to your athletic idol today. That's right. And and so many more. Yes, we did. We had a star-studded cast today. Yeah. You know, uh, we had, of course, one of our physician champions in Dr. Cullen A. Bear, who's been so instrumental you know, in organ donation process at Our Lady of the Lake in Baton Rouge. And just a nice guy. Great guy. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we had Jeffrey Marks, and, and as you mentioned, Carl Lewis, you know, my childhood idol, you know, to meet one of the greatest of all time. I took a picture with him. It's on Facebook. I'm jealous. May of 2013. Thank you. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, and all they've been doing with Wendy Marks Foundation. And then, of course, our own Michelle Kellum. Can't forget her and teaching us about PBX and how that helps us during the uh, disasters and hurricane uh, situations. Man, we just learned so much, and um, we are moving forward. We have much more to come here on the Gifted Life podcasts, but please spread the word. Let folks know that we're out there. And again, if you want to hear something or you want a presentation that's in your classroom or in your church or at your civic group, info at lopa.org, or go to our website, lopa.org. It's really a one-stop shop. So thanks for listening here on the Gifted Life. Mm-hmm.